Knowable.me acknowledges that we record this podcast, work and live on the unceded lands and waters of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Their wisdom, storytelling and deep listening is a history we pay respect to in the creation of this podcast. Welcome to another episode of Knowable.me. I'm Kelly Schultz and today we're going to explore some of the lesser known impacts of one of the most transformative inventions of our time, mobile phones. You probably knew that from the title of the episode, but I think this will be the first in a series about the humble mobile phone because there are so many different angles to delve into. From the first ever mobile phone call made by Martin Cooper in 1973, yes, that is 50 years ago. He was using the Motorola DynaTAC, a hefty device weighing over a kilogram. From those to the sleek feature-packed smartphones of today, mobile phones have come a very long way. They're not only revolutionised communication, but have also become an essential tool in our daily lives. You're probably holding one right now. Mobile phones have undoubtedly made our lives safer. With features like GPS tracking and instant communication, staying connected with loved ones, getting help in emergencies, and even monitoring our health, these things have never been easier. However, as with any technological advancement, there's a darker side to all of those features. My guests today both have a unique experience of mobile phones and safety. First, I chatted to Ashton Wood, the founder of DV Safe Phone, about the charity and where it started. Ashton, welcome to Knowable.me. What makes your experience of mobile phones unique? Um, my experience of mobile phones started a bit by accident, to be honest. I had uh, cleaned up the house and filled the car with goods for the charity. And then we went into lockdown here in Queensland where I live. So suddenly I had my car loaded with goods and nowhere to take it. So I rang an ex-police senior sergeant and said to her, I've got a carload of stuff, where do I take it? And she said, Ashton, what I need right now are mobile phones. And I said to her, mobile phones? Well, I've got two phones in my drawer that are perfect. I've just upgraded and threw them in the drawer and that's where they're sitting. And she said, Ashton, those old phones could save a life. Kind of floored me. And, and I said, but I've got a carload of stuff for you. She goes, that's good, and we'll get back to that. But right now, I need mobile phones. And I said, why? What, what do you need these for? And she said, Ashton, you know I deal with domestic violence. Unfortunately, in domestic violence, it's the mobile phone that's often the first thing to be smashed, monitored, or taken. And it leaves the victim with no way to call for help. She said, we can have the best safety and escape plan in the world, and we often do. But the perpetrators know that if they can cut that victim off from calling from their support network, then they literally have them trapped. So that's how this whole charity began. Tell me about it. Tell me about DV Safe Phone. Yep. So um, after she told me that she needed phones, I said, well, you can have my two. I said, how many more do you need? And she asked, what do you mean? I said, well, look, I work in corporate and, and I still do. And we've all got phones in our drawers. I know it. We're all, we all just want the latest phones. I think there's three sitting in the drawer next to me right now. <laughs> exactly. Most of us do, right? And uh, I said, well, how many do you want? And she goes, you will never give me enough phones. I said, okay, well, give me a number. Let me work with something. And she said, well, there's over 2 million victims right now. 
in domestic violence. I said, well, that's a huge number. I don't think I can help you with that number, but I'll try. I'll, I'll get something. But just out of interest, so I can tell all my network of people where these phones are going to end up, you know, what countries will you send these phones to? And she said, what countries? I said, yeah, you know, two million people. That's a lot of people. And she goes, Ashton, with all due respect, what rock have you been living under? This is just here in Australia. So I was very shocked. So, yeah, I put the word out to all my friends and said, come on, we've all got phones. And we thought we'd do a pilot and try and get 300 phones. And they arrived within a couple of months. So I said to her, is this helping? And she goes, absolutely. God, keep it coming. Like, this is amazing. We've never had anything like this before. And they're pretty good phones, right? They're pretty good quality phones coming from corporates. So that's when I decided, okay, it's helping. The pilot's worked. It's making a difference. Let's do it properly. Let's set it up as a proper charity and, and make a big difference. So we did. We established a charity called DV Safe Phone. We now receive phones from over 600 locations around Australia. So we've got boxes in corporations all over Australia who, like, they sponsor a box and fill them with phones and send them up to us. And then we send the phones for free with SIM cards, top-up credit, brand-new charger cable and postage to any domestic violence or law enforcement agency in Australia who needs them. So currently there's over 200 of those. It's big numbers that we're talking about, and I I don't know that I want to ask this question, but I'm assuming you haven't gotten to two million. So how do you decide who gets phones? Yeah, that's a really good question. So this week, actually, you're the first to hear it. We're about to announce that we're sending out our 5,000th phone. So we've got 5,000 now, and you're right, that's not even touching the size of a two million need. When I set this up, though, I thought, well, I'm not trained on domestic violence, and if I've got two people asking for a phone, I've only got one phone, what am I going to do? Am I going to give them my own phone as well? So that's where we decided that, no, we provide them to the agencies who are specialists trained in dealing with people and can make sure these phones are given out, not just a phone, but with the safety and escape plans that those people will need. So they'll need to know... Where are they going to go? Who are they going to call? Do they have clothes there? Do they know how they're going to feed themselves? There's so many things. What about the kids? Have they got pets? So that's why we give the phones to any police station, any domestic violence agency, any safe house or any hospital in Australia. You said you started literally as lockdown and COVID did. Have you seen an impact from the pandemic on the services coming to you for safe phones or how has that changed things for you? Yeah, it's been huge. So I started this at the start of COVID, literally because I was in lockdown and bored. Um, but the agencies are telling us that COVID has caused a huge impact to domestic violence. So the stats of 2 million is from government stats, official stats from 2019. We don't have current stats at the moment. We're waiting for that to come out. But um, they're telling me that COVID has changed the way people work and the way people can get around. So previously, the violent partner would possibly be going to work or the victim may have been going to work so they can get away from the violence for a period of time and be around people in their other networks, you know, their work environments or their social environments. But as soon as the government said, you're not allowed to leave home anymore, that made things a whole lot worse for victims because perpetrators use that as a control to say, you are not allowed to leave. The government says you can't leave. Where do you think you're going? The police even put statements out through COVID 
I don't know if you saw those in the news, but they put statements out saying you are allowed to leave in an emergency and domestic violence is an emergency, even through lockdown. Some results from a national survey have come out recently, and I'm sure you've probably seen them, that show that 90% of people believe that domestic violence, or in particular violence against women, is a problem, but only 47% believe that it's happening in their neighbourhood. What do you think stops people from appreciating the real size and breadth of the problem? It's just not something that's spoken about. So when I started this, I thought that I knew one person who was a victim because of what she shared with me. When I went out to my network, when I first started this and said, come on, guys, send me your old phones, let's do this, and I put it mostly through LinkedIn, through my professional network in there, I was shocked at how many people came back and said, good on you, I've been a victim, my partner, my wife, my child, my daughter, like it's just... It, it, the stats are that a woman a week is killed and a man a month is killed through DV in Australia and that one in three women have experienced domestic violence in some form, whether it be physical or mental or coercive control and all those different parts of domestic violence. So it is all around us and even though people may not be aware of it in their own neighbourhood, as you said, it is happening everywhere. But the people who told me that they had been through it or family members have been through it, I had worked with these people for months or years in the same offices across the table. We were working on big bids together. We were spending like 12, 15 hours a day in the room together working on these big projects, and it just never came up because we were talking work, and I didn't even, it wasn't even in my vision to, to talk about it. I've not experienced it myself, and it just wasn't something to talk about. So that's what I've realised with this is collecting people's mobile phones starts a conversation. We say to people in corporates, you know, please donate your old corporate phones. Please ask your staff to bring in their old phones from home. And that starts the conversation of why why they're asking us for phones. And then we can talk about the stats. And obviously that has an impact on the people who are the victims as well yes. when that conversation's happening because mm-hmm. it's, it helps them to be seen and to be... It does to be supported as well. Yeah, so it, it helps the victims who are hearing about it, and we do come across quite a few when I'm speaking at events. I warn people that some of the things I'm going to say, you know, could be quite emotional for people. And, yeah, I regular people come up to me at the end saying, thank you for what you do. I am a victim, but not many people know about it. But we always talk about the support. So there are amazing support services out there in Australia. There's a lot of different 1300 numbers. The police are number one for this. It's just reaching out to your support network. And now what we have on our website is a map. We have two maps. One map is all the places that people can drop their old phones to, and there's over 600 of those in Australia, including all Firmwood gyms in Australia are on board. Lots of Suncorp bank branches have got boxes on their walls inside the branches. But also there's another map. Now that map has all the agencies that we give phones to. And doesn't include safe houses, obviously, because you know, we don't want those addresses leaked, but all the agencies who are publicly facing. And that way, any person who feels they're suffering in domestic violence right now can go to our map and see the closest place to them that has our phones. And they can reach out to those agencies, ask them for phones and the other support they can provide. And we've got an agreement with all the agencies that our services are completely free, They just need to make sure the phones are going out to those who need them the most and also to share them between different agencies. So if one agency is getting really low on phones, we just ask that they share 
if they've got any left with the other agency and we will top them up because we're sending around 70 phones a week out the door at the moment. So you've made it to 5,000. Do you have a target in mind? We really want to get to 20,000 in the next few years. But uh, as I've discovered with running a charity, it's all cost and no income. (laughs) So it's costing me on average $75 for every phone that leaves here because we put a $5 SIM card, $15 top-up credit, brand-new charger cable, we pay for postage, and we're fixing a lot of phones. So there's a lot of phones coming with broken screens or dead batteries. So we're doing a lot of repairs here too. So it's something that I'd love to be able to get phones out the door faster, but it's the worst business model in the world, I've realised, because the, the, the bigger we grow, the more phones we give out, the more money it costs us. So yeah. we're looking for partners uh, in the corporate space who want to do good. It helps them in a lot of ways too. So there's a thing called ESG or Corporate Social Responsibility. It allows them to get involved with us with volunteer days. It's what's called the ultimate circular economy because you're taking a phone and reusing it in its existing form. You're not breaking it apart and trying to melt it down or do anything like that. We're literally getting phones and trying to get them working as they are. So for those who have ESG deliverables and things like that, it's a really easy program for them to get involved in. Um, But the, the dollars that come back to us through their involvement with us is what helps me keep the lights on here and keep the phones rolling out the door. I was going to say there is quite a push from an ESG perspective to do the environmental thing and to recycle your phones. What's the difference between a phone that goes for recycling and a phone that you can actually use? So what are the phones that you're actually looking for? Yeah, so we ask for any working phone. Uh, When I first started, I said, please donate your old phone. And boy, did we get some old phones. (laughs) So I changed it to please donate your old working phone. So ex-fleet phones are amazing because normally they haven't been through, you know, mum, dad, the kids in the bath. Um, (laughs) So they're normally in pretty good condition and don't need a lot of work to get them fixed. But saying that, we'll take phones that are still locked, cracked screens, because we can use components off them to fix other phones. And um, anything we can't use here, we send out to Mobile Master. So they have a program where they will take e-waste from us or anyone, and they pick it up from us for free. So we don't pay for the service. They, they send a courier to pick up the old phones from us and they take them away and shred them, guarantee the data's removed as they shred and recycle them. So the glass goes somewhere, the metals go somewhere else, the batteries go somewhere else. So they, they manage all that side and give a guarantee that the data's erased through that process, obviously, through the shredding. So as I said, we don't pay for that. We don't get paid for it, but it makes sure that If we can't use a phone for the ultimate recycling, as you said, which is to use something in its existing form and give it another two or three years of life, then it will go through Mobile Master and be recycled by them. So great to talk to the corporate partners and want some of those on board. But if there are individuals out there like me with three phones, we've already started, so that's 5,003 now. Perfect. What can individuals do? Yeah, so if they go onto our map on DV Safe Phone on our website, there's all the drop-off locations. So literally just take them into any drop-off location and drop them in a box, and then they will manage getting the phones back to us. Or people can post them to us directly in our postal addresses on the website as well. And a bit of a plug for the charity drive, because I assume as a charitable organisation, you will happily take some of the cash variety donations as well. Yes, please. We definitely we definitely need the money. So on our website again, there's a donate button, 
And people can donate once off, which is absolutely amazing. It's fully tax deductible, over $2. Or we have a regular giving program, and this is where people elect to donate monthly, and they can cancel at any time. And that's amazing for us because that helps me with planning. You know, If we have an idea of how much is going to come in in a month regularly, then I can actually start to plan. And I'm, instead of buying you know, 10 or 20 screens this month, I can say, okay, I know there's X amount of money coming in. I'll wait and buy 100 screens because I can get them cheaper. So it helps us with our operational costs. Talking about your website, I also noticed there's an exit button, a yes. quick exit button on your website. Now, I'm pretty sure I know what that's for, but can you... Give us a rundown on that. Yeah, it's just in case people are looking at what we do and they are, you know, in an environment that may not be safe and someone walks up behind them or comes up in front of them, they can hit the quick exit button and that'll just throw up a new screen in front of them. So it just hides what they're doing at the time. Um, a lot of uh, charities and services like this will have that sort of function on there just to quickly throw something up in front of it and hide the fact of you're looking for a DV safe phone. So what's your web address? It's dvsafephone.org. Thank you for your time today. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned about phones that you want to get out into the world? No, I think that's great. Thank you for having me on your channel to have a chat about what we do. Um, the awareness is amazing. This is, this is how this works. Is it's through people like yourself who want to see some good done in the community and are looking for stories of people who are trying to help as much as we can. So I really do appreciate your time, Kelly. Thanks, Ashton. My next guest is Carolyn Wilkes, who is the Manager of Women's Programs at the eSafety Commission. We chatted about what the Commission does, their resources, and some of the things to watch out for when using your mobile phone. Carolyn, thank you for joining Knowable.me. The first question for everyone, what makes your experience of mobile phones unique? Well, for me, I think, you know, mobile phones, I, as like anyone, just took to new technology as we got it. But as a manager of the eSafety women's programs, it's unique from a different perspective. My team focuses on how tech abuse is perpetrated against women, um, and that extends not just to abuse on social media, but how devices such as smartphones are used to harass, threaten, and intimidate women. Our programs and resources are for all Australians, but we do provide specific support and advice to at-risk communities, such as First Nations people, young people, LGBTIQ people, and older Australians. But what we know in the case of women is that tech abuse, including using smartphones, is frequently misogynistic, highly sexualised and violent, designed to undermine their sense of safety and security and can often extend to threats um, targeting their children. And that's, I suppose, you know, my experience of mobile phones and and in this job is, is unique in that way. We'll get on to the tech-facilitated abuse, but first, what is the role of the eSafety Commission? The eSafety Commissioner, and our Commissioner is Julie Inman-Grant, but we talk about eSafety as being the organisation, and we're Australia's online safety regulator. So we're the first of its kind in the world, and our aim is to support all Australians to have a safe and positive online experience. We provide 
online safety um, information and advice on our website, including targeted programs, like I mentioned before, for women, young people, parents and educators. But we also have powers under the Online Safety Act, and that's to remove seriously harmful content targeting Australians, adults or children, when it's reported to us. Are they powers to investigate, powers to take action, powers to prosecute? What are, what, what are those powers sort of look yeah. like? Is it just powers to regulate? Yeah. It, there's, there's regulation powers, and I can go into those, but we also have four reporting schemes. So people can report to eSafety. There's different components for each scheme, but one of the schemes is for image-based abuse, and that's what is commonly referred to as revenge porn, we don't like that term, but that's often what you used. So that's about when someone shares your intimate images or videos without your consent. So we have a scheme about that where people can report to eSafety when they become aware of their images being misused in that way. And then eSafety can investigate and request that that be removed directly to the um, wherever the platform is. Last year, we received almost 7,000 reports of image-based abuse and removed wow. about 5,000 URLs. Um, so there's, there's that one. We also have the world's first adult cyber abuse scheme, and that's where people can, uh, if they have a complaint about adult cyber abuse, they do need to go to the platform first and make a complaint. And if that platform doesn't respond either at all or to their satisfaction, then they can come to eSafety. And then we have two other schemes. One is about child bullying, online bullying, and the other is about extreme content schemes. So that includes child sex abuse or things like uh, terrorism, that sort of thing, images of those. So we have those four schemes, plus we have some regulations in terms of codes. That are, That's all very heavy, very, very dark. Um, yes. How do you yes. see the light through through that? How do you stay positive and, and how do you actually want to use a mobile phone in light of all the, the things that go on? Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose, um, you know, smartphones have revolutionised the way that we live, haven't they? You know, the way we communicate, the way we purchase, create and participate. So there are so many positives and and. With the work that eSafety does, we in no way say just put the phone down or, or get offline, <laughs> offline because there are so many benefits. And there are some positives happening. So eSafety has been instrumental in pushing a safety by design initiative. And that's about encouraging and supporting industry, whether it's the industry creating new forms of technology or industry that use technology in their services like financial systems and um gas companies, et cetera, to build in safety right at the start. So rather than creating something and going fast and hard to create some new technology, thinking about right at the beginning, how could that be misused? And, that, and we're getting traction in that space. Our resources that have been developed have been downloaded by countries all around the globe. And we're involved in global partnerships around regulatory systems and prevention. So there is work happening. And then also the work of my team, is very much focused on gender-based abuse and we're involved and contribute to the National Plan to End Violence Against Women and Children and getting involved in preventative work. So so there is hope, um, it, but, yeah, it can be dark. It, it's any technology that humans create can be misused and smartphones are one of them. 
It took me a little while to do the mental arithmetic, but <laughs> that's 7,000 reports of, of image um, uh, revenge porn. I can't remember the proper term you've actually used, but yeah. 7,000, that's 20 a day. And the complexity of that and what I'm wondering about is how getting that removed when we're in Australia and so much of that can be happening in other in other jurisdictions. Is it a successful partnerships overseas with the people who can help prevent and remove that sort of content? It, it is. Uh, I don't it, – it, that space, particularly in the international space, is not one that I'm strong on. But I do know, particularly when it comes to the child sexual abuse material, that we are involved in international networks of organisations involved in responding to reports of that material and getting it taken down quickly and, you know, co collaboratively across the world. When it comes to image-based abuse, under the Online Safety Act, eSafety has the legal powers to get those images removed. We really encourage people if they have experienced image-based abuse and they have images being shared online for them to collect what evidence they can. Um, that can include screenshots of, of the materials, um, any information they can pull together, uh, make a report to eSafety and eSafety can use that information to investigate and make every attempt either informally or using our legislation under the Online Safety Act to have those images removed. So coming back to tech-facilitated abuse, what is the definition? Yeah, well, tech-facilitated abuse, you know, it can include anything from sending hundreds of harassing texts to tracking via GPS on wearables and personal devices. Uh, it can include spyware on iPads that might be gifted to children. It can be, you know, image-based abuse like we've covered, that sharing your intimate images. It can include things like online banking transaction references and child support payments, which is called microaggressions, where you know, it's using the opportunity to put some information when you're doing online banking. So instead of the reference being you know, child support, it can be something rude, abusive or threatening to someone. Fortunately, in that space, the financial organisations, the banks have become very involved in using AI and all sorts of things to try and track that, identify it before it actually gets to, to the person. But it's a, there's a wide range of um, actions that can be included in tech-facilitated abuse. Is there an element to it of also restricting access? We've talked about how you know, mobile phones in particular are, are necessary for lots of participation in life economically, socially. Is there also an element of restriction of that access that you see? Most definitely. Some of the more extreme versions are where perpetrators, and this is often in domestic and family violence situations, can get technology within a woman's car that actually stops her going, you know, a certain distance away from her house. It can have the effect of isolating people socially where a social media account is, um, you know, that they can get hold of the passwords, hack a woman's social media account and then post. So one example is a, is a former partner or a partner posting confessions in inverted commas of a drug habit on a woman's social media account and then seeing the havoc that that would play within 
her family and social circle, but then also using that in a subsequent court case. What's the extent of tech-facilitated abuse in Australia? Yeah, unfortunately it's fairly high. So there's an organisation called the Australian National Research Organisation for Women's Safety, or ANROSE, and they do a lot of research on these types of issues. And the report last year estimated that one in two Australians have experienced some form of technology-facilitated abuse. Now, that can range from people being sworn at or called names on social media, extending through all those other examples and the extreme examples I've given, but it's widespread. Do you see things changing over time, becoming more sophisticated or increasing? Yeah, I think that's... Although tech abuse doesn't necessarily need to involve sophisticated devices, it can can be example as, you know, baby monitors concealed in toys are being used to monitor a partner undetected. But yes, it is becoming more sophisticated. We've been concerned about deep fake images and that image-based abuse for a number of years, which is when someone manipulates an image of you to create often false pornographic material and then sharing that material. We're only seeing a very low number of reports of this at the moment, but we do suspect it will become more of an issue as generative AI technology becomes more advanced and widely available. And tech abuse is certainly on the rise. We recently released research about adults' online experiences, and 75% of Australian adults had at least one negative online experience in the past 12 months. And that's broader than what we think of as tech-facilitated abuse. That can include scams, etc but it's a 30% jump compared to 2019. Does that imply that COVID made a difference or did we see any impacts come out of COVID and lockdowns that you saw make a difference? Yeah, we do suspect it's related to changes in online behaviours resulting from the COVID pandemic and those lockdowns. It prompted people to use a greater diversity of online services and platforms and to be online more often and for longer periods of time. Uh, And we know from prior research, the more time you spend on devices or spend online, the more likely you are to have a negative experience. So I think we've got a pretty good handle on the problem. Let's flick it into solution mm-hmm. mode. What are the yeah. what are the signs? What are the things that people need to look out for, particularly on a mobile phone device, say, to indicate they might be at risk or they're compromised? Yeah, yep. There's some of the things that um, some of those sort of red flags or warnings could be about, you know, you get locked out of your devices or online accounts, including bank accounts that, you know, it's unexpected. People, partners or ex-partners knowing your movements without being told. Those fake social media accounts or strange posts appearing on that you might have been using or hurtful or vengeful social media content being shared. Our pages on the women's section of our website have lists of these warning signs and ways to increase your safety because there are lots of different ways that it can um, be shown. Given the technology companies are working to uh, prevent the misuse of their devices, are there any particular phone features or apps that can help keep people safe? Yeah. Look, the two big ones are your passcodes and your location services. So 
it's really important to set passcodes and passphrases that are hard to guess or use those biometric logins such as fingerprints or facial recognition on all your devices. And with location services, it's really important to turn off Bluetooth, GPS or location services unless you're using them, particularly if you're concerned about those issues. You could make a habit of deleting the location history from your phone. Um, if you're on an iPhone, your iPhone user, you can clear your frequent locations history too. And the other thing, geotagging. So some of those personal devices or wearables have a geotagging function. So turning those off. The other thing is recognising or knowing how to use number blocking if you don't want to be automatically letting people know what your number is when you're calling them. You can be careful about the data you share with ride-sharing devices. You know, again, making sure you turn off the location services once you've completed your ride. And the other thing is to make sure if you're using public Wi-Fi hotspots that you use them when secure ones where possible because if you need to treat any hotspots as unsecured unless the operator tells you otherwise, because using those makes it quite easy for hackers to get in and use your details. But I'll just say, again, our website has lots of advice and explainers on how to do all of these and for various devices and systems. Um, so for anyone wanting advice there, please go to our website. What else is on offer from your website? Are there any things we haven't? mentioned programs and things that the commission offer yeah look as i said we do have sections on our website for different cohorts within the community i mean most of our information is available to absolutely anyone but we do recognize that some cohorts some community groups are more likely to experience online safety issues so we have a women's section we have a beautiful new First Nations section. We have ones for children and young people, parents and educators. So there is a whole range of information for community members there. We also have a section for industry, which looks at that safety by design initiative and our codes and regulatory powers. We also have training that's available for frontline workers. So that's a large part of the work that my team does is deliver sessions for people that are supporting victim survivors of family and domestic violence. And that can include not just domestic and family violence services, but it includes law enforcement, people that work in the justice system, health workers, allied health workers. There's a whole range of people that will come into contact with someone who's experiencing gender-based violence, including tech-facilitated abuse or tech abuse. And our training can help them understand how to support those people better. And then we also have some what we call social media self-defence and that we do some webinars um, and some workshops for community groups or organisations. And that's taking people through what can be done. So it's a pretty practical session where you go through those, those settings for privacy and locations and just make sure that people are familiar with what's available. But it also looks at how we can respond to social media issues, either ourselves, but also how to be a good bystander, or we often call it an upstander within e-safety. So if people are getting piled on within social media, if you're a friend or ally or just think that it's not okay, it 
helps you think about and give you examples of things that you can say or write on social media to say, hang on, that's too personal, that's not the issue or that's not okay uh, and encourage people to get in there and support people that are being attacked. That's a great call out and I will include as many links to those resources and Mm -hmm. training as possible in the show notes. Thinking about the green shoots, the positivity, the solutions that are out there, what do you envisage as the future of mobile safety for women in particular? Yeah, I think there's things that I mentioned before about biometric identification systems. I suspect those types of systems that identify individuals based on their unique physical characteristics can be more and more used and useful, less easy to to hack or manipulate. There's mobile apps that enable women to send an emergency alert to designated contacts if they feel threatened or unsafe. But I think there is cause for hope in the future of online safety. Industry governments and the community are increasingly more aware that online and device safety needs to be considered at at the outset. So I think that's we're making progress there. But also achieving it is going to need global collaboration because online harms cross physical borders. eSafety's launched the Global Online Safety Regulators Network with the UK, Fijian and Irish regulators to share information and best practice. And eSafety is also a founding member of the Global Partnership for Action on Gender-Based Online Harassment and Abuse. But one of the things we're also getting more involved in is prevention at a community level. So we recently launched a community grants program applications are open right now, that will fund projects that aim to change the attitudes and behaviours that lead to the abuse of women using technology. So we want to get in there right at the start because I think I you know, mentioned before, it, technology, we have new, new forms of technology in all parts of life all the time, and that that can be misused, but we want to address the drivers of that violence and, and the reasons for that misuse in the first place because we can't ignore that it's an age-old affliction, violence against women, deeply rooted in many cultures, including our own. So device and online safety can only take us so far, but if we don't address the discrimination, intimidation and sexualisation of women that happens every day, yeah, we're not going to get that far. That feels a little bit like a mic drop moment, Carolyn, but is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to get out there into the world? I'll I'll just come back again to the fact that eSafety has been so much work over the years to develop resources based on engaging with community members, engaging with schools, parents, women, First Nations people, culturally diverse communities to create resources that speak to their needs and are accessible to them. So I would just encourage people to go to our website, have a browse, see what's there and what they can use and get involved. Thank you. It's been great talking to you today. Thanks for your time, Carolyn. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You'll find the links in the show notes for everything Carolyn mentioned, but to start, the eSafety Commission website is www.esafety.gov.au. A big thank you to our guests Ashton and Carolyn for sharing their work and insights. If you have any ideas for other mobile phone topics for me to explore, I'd love to hear them. 
As always, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, feel free to reach out to me on social media or by emailing podcast at knowable.me. Thanks for listening.